Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 2, State Fair Theology, Romans 3, 25a. Why did the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, need to be done publicly? I mean, why, why couldn't he have just been in a private room and just died if he was going to pay the penalty for our sins? Why did that need to take place? And then, and then there's this whole thing about, is this allusion to, it has something to do with the snake on a stick story in the Old Testament. What is going on here? Join us today as we examine Romans 3.25 in the light of what God did for us in Christ. If you were with us last week, I want to, want to welcome you again. This is Pastor Steve Treichler. I'm the founding and senior pastor of Hope Community Church in in uh, Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. I hope you're doing well. It's absolutely freezing up here in the great north these days, and I, I hope you're warm wherever you are and that you and your family are well. Uh, last week I had talked about we were going to look at verses 25 and 26, and as I started putting it together for this week, I realized there's just no way I'm going to divide that into two weeks, and that actually works out great. We'll still stick with our 19 podcasts for, for this season. Before we get into that, though, before we get into Romans 3.25, this season, what I'm trying to do is is one of my passions is to help people along, maybe who don't know the Bible well, don't know theology, don't know some of the fancy words. And my contention, and if you've been around Hope for a while, you've heard this maybe several times, my contention is theology is really just simple words, or excuse me, simple concepts with complicated words attached to it. And so what we want to do here is we want to unpack some of that so that you really can understand when you hear these words from people and they throw them out there, uh, it, it really isn't anything to be, to be worried about. It's really quite simple. And this week, the word for this week is the word revelation. Now, you maybe know that word. You've heard that word to reveal something, right? But when, when we speak of that in theology, it really is about the question, how does Almighty God speak to his finite creation, right? And there's basically, theologians say, there's two, uh, two, two ways that this happens. One is called general revelation, or sometimes it's called natural revelation revelation or universal revelation. And what that is, is that means that God speaks to us clearly through creation. Even scripture talks about this. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, right? So so it's this, this idea that that just in creation, you see God. Now, it's not wrong for a lot of people that that go out into nature and say, I feel close to God that way. Now, I know there's a lot of theologies that go and they try to dismiss the God of the Bible as a result of that, but in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. I mean, here in Minnesota, we have, we have incredible beauty, primarily in the summer, <laughs> Although I was just out walking the dog today and I thought, this really is beautiful. We just got more snow today and it's it's really beautiful. But you you do, you get a sense of the awesomeness of God in creation. We have an area in, in northern Minnesota called the Boundary Waters. And you go up there and it is, it's really unlike any other place, I, I would say, on earth. And you go up, there's a lot of granite formations, a lot of trees, especially a lot of pine type trees, fir trees. And and it is just gorgeous, big cliffs, and it's just amazing. 
And your mind just does go to the creator God when you see that, right? That's called general revelation or natural revelation or universal revelation. It's one of the ways that God speaks to us, right? The other way is what we'd call specific revelation or special or particular. Those are words you're all going to hear. And what that means is is it's a way that God communicates clearly to humans. And what that is primarily is in a way that he is saying something to humanity about his character or what he wants us to do or or something like that. And it comes in a variety of ways, right? Sure does. So God can just sense this this feeling of of God feeling like, or people feeling like they have heard from God about something. You know, we'd say it's a word. I've got a word from God, or I, I really felt God impressing on my, my heart something. That, that can be. Uh, it's not always the case, but it certainly can be. God can speak to us clearly through events that happen in our lives. Uh, as, a, as a nation, what's God up to now with COVID? What's God up to with some of the unrest we've been facing? Uh, what's God up to when certain events happen in your life? And we speak about that clearly, right? In the scriptures, Jesus Christ is actually called the Word of God. And that he is himself the word of God. And he, he you know, in, in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so it describes Christ as this word or the word of God that communicates God to humanity better than anything else. But most of the time when we speak of the phrase specific or particular revelation, we're really talking about the Bible here. We're talking about the 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament bound together, and that those are God's words to us through history in certain events that have happened in humanity, and we are to extract the principles and understand how that is God's word to us today, even though the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And so that's why we spend so much time on the scriptures when we look at the character of God, because it's really out of that list, the only real objective thing that we have remaining. Christ in his in his human form is no longer on earth. So general revelation, which is nature, and when God impresses things on our hearts or events happen, they're somewhat to some degree subjective, right? But the but the word of God that's been been handed down to us is very objective. And as we study it, the most, the best phrase I've ever got is the goal of the word of God is to get to know the God of the word. And I love that. If you're just trying to study the Bible to get to know the Bible, you can do that. But really the goal of it, like in anything, is to get after it and get to know God himself. So that's our word for this week. The word is revelation. All right, this week, what are we talking about? We're talking about state fair theology. What a weird thing to say, and I'll come back to why we're going to do that. We're going to look at just the first half of verse 25. Verses 21 all the way to 31 kind of form a section. We're going to spend four weeks just on this section. This is our second week. But um, I want to look at the first half of verse 20, 
uh, 5. And in order to do that, I kind of got to give you the flow of verses 21 to 26. So if you got a Bible with you, open it up to Romans 3. Look at verses 21 to 26 with me. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible here. And the reason for that is it's very literal. Uh, we talked about this in an early episode last year, the different translations and what you can learn from them. Uh, the New American Standard is one of the most literal, and it helps you to understand the meaning of words. But it reads very, very woodenly. It's very difficult to read. And so as a result, you kind of get splinters when you read it. Let me read 21 to 26 out of the New American Standard, and then we'll kind of dive into it. Okay, here we go. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, again, that's a, that's a New American Standard translation. It's, it's wonderful. But yeah, I feel like I need to go pull some splinters out of my mouth afterwards because it reads really rough. And other translations kind of smooth it out, but they're not as accurate on certain words. And I want to really hone in on this phrase today, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And so that's all I want to hone in on this week. The first half of verse 25. So first question, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to this displayed publicly thing. That's the thing I want to handle last because that's what we're going to be talking about here uh, primarily. But I want to look at some of the other things here. First thing is, what is a propitiation, right? That's not a word we use often. Propitiation, it's, it's even hard to, for me to say at times, right? Because it's not a phrase we use often. And it's not used often in scripture. The, the, the Greek word for that is hilasterion. And it it, it, it's only found a few places in Scripture, Hebrews 9, verse 5, 1 John 2, 2, and 4, chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 10. And, and in there, it basically gives the concept that, uh, especially in Romans, or excuse me, in Hebrews, it, it, it mentions this as the mercy seat, or it's this part of the, the, the temple where you would go in and that's where the offering would be laid. And it takes the place of another. And in the in the footnote of the new international version, but it's the 1984 one, not the new one. It gives a wonderful little footnote where it says on this verse that that what the meaning of propitiation is is that it says if you just go to the you know if you have a, one of those old Bibles I don't know if you if you do anymore not many people do much anymore but it says that which turns aside wrath on behalf of another okay in other words it it would be it would be uh, it's it's taking this wrath for the sake of another. And that's what happened in the temple sacrifices, and that's what happens here. So it says that God displayed uh, Christ publicly as a propitiation. So what's happening? He is our mercy seat. He is the one who takes what we should have gotten he takes it upon himself. He takes the wrath of God, and we'll look at that a lot next week. He takes that upon himself instead of us. 
Then that takes us to this phrase. It says, in his blood, through faith, in his blood. So again, that's that's a hard uh, that's a that's a hard translation. It's it's that's literally correct, but it's difficult. If you look at one of the translations that smooth it out a little bit, like the New International Version, um, through the shedding of his blood, the English Standard Version uh, would say. He did it uh, through the redemption of Christ, who God put forth his permission by his blood. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's this idea that, that uh, Christ did this for us, and the vehicle in which it happens, the vehicle is his blood. That's the thing that, that makes it uh, effective. What makes it effective for us is the fact that we believe through faith. Okay, so this is not a, a small thing. It's actually a huge thing. Your faith doesn't save you. <laughs> and you're going, what? I thought you've been, don't you, Pastor Steve, don't you preach that? Isn't that the, the great uh, Protestant Reformation, you know, that, that we were saved uh, by faith or through faith? Yes, that's true, but it's not the vehicle, Okay, so it's like saying uh, uh, I I I I get a car, and the way I tra- I go somewhere is I get into the car, and then and I chose to get in the car, and then that the car you know I, I drive the car and it gets me somewhere. So Mazda or whoever made the car, they're the ones that get kind of the credit for getting me somewhere. My decision to get in the car is really not part of the equation, except I decided to get in the car, and that's really what's going on here. The propitiation happens, and it happens, it's objectively true in Christ, but is it objectively true for me only when I believe? Okay, so it's through faith. He did it in his blood through faith. Now, now we're going to get to the thing that I wanted to hone in on, and that was this beginning. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This phrase, they're this displaying publicly. It's a it's a strange word, even, and I don't know a lot of other translations just kind of gloss over it a little bit. It, it it it's it's this weird thing. So what's what is God getting after here? What is what is this about? And if and if you just remember in Scripture, Jesus talked about he talked about this several places about he had to be uh, it was had to be a public thing. It had to be somewhere that others could see it take place. Probably the most famous of this is John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, he's dealing with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a religious ruler of the day, and he comes to Jesus at night, and most likely because he doesn't want others to, to see him hanging out with Jesus. Because it, it, if, if you were a religious ruler of the day at that time, believe it or not, it was not popular to be around the Son of God, which is crazy, but true. So he comes at night and he tells him in John chapter three, he says, good teacher, rabbi, uh, uh, no one could do the work you're doing unless God were with him. So Nicodemus is struggling because Jesus is doing amazing things. And yet Nicodemus doesn't really have a category to put this guy into. And Jesus replies back in verse three, he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, unless they are born again. Now, Nicodemus is confused by this. So he says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And you can just see Jesus kind of looking at him, maybe doing a face palm. It's like, you really, honestly, Nicodemus, you, 
You think I'm speaking about climbing back into your mother's womb? Really? So Jesus answered, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. And that's an allusion back to Ezekiel and other places where it talks about uh, God will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. The Spirit's going to come. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, your first birth, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, your second birth. Then he says, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I love this Nicodemus guy. I love him. I, I, I really do. And if you follow Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, is around at the end after Jesus is crucified, and he helps with the burial of Jesus. He, he, he is a follower of Christ eventually. But at this point in time, he's just confused. And he says, how can this be? Now, listen to Jesus' answer. This is really, really profound. He says, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? In other words, Nicodemus, I am fulfilling all that you all teach in the Old Testament. You're just reading your Old Testament wrong. I am the fulfillment of this, and also a time is coming when you'll be born again. You will, you will believe, and, and, and things will radically change for you, okay? Here he goes. He goes, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people, that's the Jewish religious leaders, do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. And here it is. Listen now carefully here. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, so he gives this allusion to this weird thing in the Old Testament Just as Moses lifted up this snake in the Old Testament, just as that happened, um, that's got to happen for me, and, and, and anyone who looks on me will have eternal life, right? That's what it says here in John 3, 15, 14 and 15. So the sum may be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then comes the most famous passage probably in the Bible that people have heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? Now, what is going on here? <laughs> what, what, is, what, is, what is Jesus talking about? This is just a bizarre thing, Right? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, what is that about? Well, if you have a Bible that has footnotes or it has cross-references, you can see, you can click on it and say it'll take you back to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, the people of Israel are wandering around and they're grumbling uh, uh, to God about all the troubles that they've had after they've come out of Egypt and they're, you know, they have to stay, they have to be in the wilderness. They're not yet in the promised land and they don't like it. They're grumbling about everything. On and on and on. And finally, uh, in Numbers 21, they grumble so much they, that God sends venomous snakes and they bite them. And these snakes, if they bite, the people are dying. 
And so the people come to Moses and said, whoa, whoa, we're really sorry about all that we've done. Uh, is there something that we can, you know, could, could, could you stop this, Moses? And then it says this uh, in, in, in Numbers 21. Let me pick it up and just give you the whole story. It says, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. This is Numbers 21, verse 6 and, and following. And many Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now that's crazy, right? I mean, what a story. There's a story in his Old Testament account that a people are getting what they deserve. They have grumbled. They've, they've basically flipped off the living God, grumbled against him, swore against him, and, and now God is saying, okay, all right, if you, if you, if you want to just be on your own, fine. This is what's going to happen. There's snakes and everything out here, and they're going to get you, and they got them. And they come now, and they say to Moses, Moses, please help us. So Moses prays, and the solution that God says is, Take a pole and put a snake on it, a bronze snake, and then people can come and look at it. And if, excuse me, if, if they come and they, if they look at the snake, they'll live. So this is what I would call, you know, in the State Fair of Minnesota, or in Minnesota we have a thing called the State Fair, and everything you can have that you could eat anywhere else, you can put on a stick, right? We even have, believe it or not, I've actually seen it. I haven't had it, but I've seen it. It's called spaghetti on a stick. I don't even know exactly how they get it on there, how they wrap it in. It's kind of deep fried, but there it is. We have corn dogs on a stick. We have turkey on a stick. We have just about everything you could possibly put on a stick. It's on the stick at the state fair. And here's the very first instance of it. You have what I would call state, uh, state fair theology. You have snake on a stick. And they, they put this bronze snake on the top of this stick, and then if they look at it, they live. Now, <laughs> let's just think about this for a second. How many people were in the, in the desert at that time? We're not exactly sure. Some scholars estimate it was hundreds of thousands, could be even up to a million people. Now, that's a pretty big city, right? That's a pretty, it, it, where they have to be and where they have to camp, even if they're relatively close together. You know, it's miles, right? It's several miles across. Let's just say you're on one edge of the city and you get bit by this snake. And all of a sudden, you're like freaking out, right? You need medical attention. And someone says to you, hey, 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 guess what? I heard about this thing. If you just travel with the last remaining time you have before that venom gets into your system and you die, if you travel all the way over to where you can see the, the this this snake on a stick and just look at it, you'll, you'll be healed. Well, what does it take to actually do that? I mean, that's not normal medicine, right? I, I, and I'm not going to recommend, if you get bit by a snake today, don't just look at another snake on a stick. What you have to do here is, even though you don't understand it, you have to say, all right, God, I trust you. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. 
but I'm ultimately going to completely trust you. And I'm going to, I'm going to, to, to use, I'm going to bank everything I have on my life because by the time if I get there and this doesn't work, I'm dead. But I'm going to bank on that you are true to your word. And because you've said this, I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to take them two, three, four, five mile walk. And I'm going to find this snake. And then I'm just going to look upon it. I'm going to look at it. And I'll be healed. That's the story. Now go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when speaking to Nicodemus, who knew the Old Testament and knew that moment in Israel's history and how much faith it actually took at that moment to, to, to pass up other medical options, to do whatever, to stop freaking out, but to actually travel to where the snake, snake is and to look at it. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who, and he inserts a different word here, then looks. The word is believes. Now, I would argue that's the same word that happens in the Old Testament. Whoever looks upon the snake is actually saying, God, I believe you. It doesn't make any sense to me. And here, Jesus says, that's the same for me. And that brings us back to Romans 3.25 which says that God displayed publicly Jesus was on a cross. Jesus was on a stick. Jesus was lifted up. Here is the Son of God, holy God, holy man, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely God, completely man, and he went to the cross to pay for our sin. Now, you might be at a point, you might just be starting your your journey with Christ, and you might look at him and say, that makes no sense to me. But I trust you, God. You said it's true, so I'm trusting you. And as we'll study more in Romans, we'll see that it, it makes total sense of God's economy, but it was a surprise to everyone. Nicodemus didn't understand it. The people of the Old Testament didn't understand it. The religious people of the day didn't understand it. Many, many, many religious people today follow religion but never follow Jesus Christ because they don't understand it. And it simply is this. You put your hope and your finished faith and you look upon the Son on the cross. He is the final answer. He is the one. And when I do that, it says here that when anyone's bitten by that snake and they looked at the bronze snake, they lived. That anyone who is bitten by sin, who's bitten by calamity, who's bitten by all the things in this life which tear us away from God, and we look upon the Christ on the cross, we live. Let me encourage you this week to to ponder that and to think about how much that blows away some of the other ways we think about when we think about being right with God. This conversation lingered with Nicodemus the rest of his life. He was never the same after this conversation. He understood it, and it blew him away, so much so that by the end of the Gospels, we see that Nicodemus becomes a follower of Jesus himself. Next week, we're going to dive into 
the the phrase so that he would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. If you have uh, thoughts or comments or questions, I'd encourage you to send them to me at steve at hopecc.com. I hope that this has been helpful and you can continue to ponder away these beautiful, beautiful truths from the book of Romans. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.